welcome back to another episode of DSC's Charity Questions. And today we're here with Neela Jane, where we're going to ask her the questions that you want to know about her new book, Grants Fundraising from the Directory of Social Change. So thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Neela Jane. Uh, we're so glad to have you here and I'm really looking forward to asking you the questions that people have been sending in to us. So but before I start with some of the questions, just tell the listeners about your, your journey. How are you here now uh, as the author of this book? Uh, how did you get to this point? Um, really, I don't know. I really don't know how I, how I got here. Um, well, I mean, I've been fundraising in trust and foundations and major gifts, so like major donors and trust foundations together, really, for about well, 15 years, which is probably going to show my age a little bit. Um, yeah, and i working for a whole range of different organisations. Um, over the last few years, I've just been doing freelance bits while I've had young children. Um, nice. And then I just got an email one day from the publishers of the DSC just uh, asking if I'd be interested in writing something because there hasn't been a book on this particular topic for I think about 10 years it's been in print and um, so it was kind of time I think that there was going to be something new coming out in this area um, and and that's kind of just where it starts and it's been a bit of a crazy year and um, amazing experience to, to write it and a real privilege because it's just it's a topic that in a geeky way I do get really excited about so it's been really lovely to actually write about something that you're passionate about and I hope that will be really helpful um, and approachable for anyone who is new to grants fundraising but also an old hand that maybe wants to just refresh their ideas or kind of review their strategy in, in light of what's in the book so I hope it will be Love really that. helpful for people Perfect. So, I mean, we can always do with reviewing our strategies and, and things like that. So, yeah, really uh, appreciate that. And, and of course, I'm sure your experience comes through in the book, which is, of course, what it's there to do. So you're talking about new fundraisers then. And let's think about this from the, if somebody's beginning a grant funding journey and maybe they're, back, they're thinking I'm going to pick up your book, but maybe they're also listening to this podcast, getting wanting some tips now. So if I'm a new fundraiser um, or perhaps I'm approaching a new funder, it can feel quite overwhelming. Um, what would you suggest that I do to overcome that first hurdle? Yeah, it definitely can feel overwhelming, particularly if you've, you've moved to a new organisation um, or you're new to the area completely, and that's totally um, sympathetic to the overwhelm. Mm. I think probably the main thing is taking a step back from the fundraising side of things initially and just being making sure you're really clear on what your organisation's priorities are fundraising-wise. Because it's not, I think it's easy to sort of jump in and be looking for funders immediately, but actually you need to know exactly what you're looking for money for. So what do you need? What projects are you fundraising for? How much do you need? When do you need it by? Kind of all those kind of obvious but core questions. You need to have all of that stuff set up way in advance of actually starting grants fundraising. I have definitely spoken to a few organisations, particularly new or small ones, who have been really keen to get involved in grants fundraising, but haven't got all that stuff sorted out yet. Like they haven't got maybe even a, a full year of accounts yet that they can kind of describe with a, with a funder, or they don't really know exactly what they need, or they haven't got a financial plan yet. Or a bank account so, sometimes. Or a bank, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those things kind of need to be set up a bit in advance because for two reasons. One, you don't really know what you're going to a funder with but secondly if you then have start a conversation with a funder they're going to ask you all that stuff like what's your need what's your evidence of need do you have the facts and figures and stats and all the backup stuff for that if you don't have it then you're not going to get anywhere with that funder for a while anyway so probably the first thing is getting your your ducks in a row I suppose organizationally mm. um, make sure you've got all that stuff sorted the overwhelm thing 
it's totally, I think particularly a thing in grants fundraising, because often grants fundraisers aren't just grants fundraisers. Often they're maybe doing a whole range of different fundraising elements and, and grants is just one of them. Or yeah. maybe you're not even a fundraiser, you're actually a, a program manager and you look <laughs> to find some money on the side. It's just a little yeah. part of your job. And then it's all about prioritizing your time then because you haven't got the time to do everything that's outlined in the book, for example, you just have to pick and choose the bits that you can do with the capacity mm. that you've got. So I think that's things like finding shortcuts to, to prospecting, looking for new prospective funders, things yeah. like setting up email alerts that can help you just find out when new funding streams come available rather than having to spend lots of time finding it. Um, things like uh, looking at ways of ranking your prospective funders so that you're prioritizing your best bets rather than just scattergun going for anything that's going. Mm. Um, I think prioritization probably comes into the, the thing about the overwhelm as well. Definitely. And I like what you said, you start with the projects. And I think sometimes when I'm training fundraising, you ask people, what's your fundraising target? And they say, oh, 1.2 million. And you go, how many projects is that? And they go, what's a project? That's how much money. Oh, right. Yeah. And, okay. and it is about taking that backward step, isn't it? And I talk about DSC. Well, we're a collection of projects. We deliver training. We sell books. We right. deliver funds online. Exactly. We lobby the government. We do research, all of this. They're all different things and can all be thought about separately. Is that what you mean, Neela, when you're saying kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and knowing what those the, the priorities of the organisation are as mm. well. Like, you know, if we, we need to raise £100,000, say, but... What, what is the priority there? Because the funder's going to ask that question and they want to know why it's your priority and what's the evidence for it being your priority. So um, you, need, you need to have all that stuff nice. lined up. And the new organisations, there's also stuff like reputation building and getting your kind of evidence of your credibility as, a new, as an organisation because you haven't necessarily got that background um, history that you can kind of rely on. So that's uh, kind of like groundwork stuff that's yep. got to come before you start putting proposals together. Okay, so I like I like this theme. We're talking about maybe some some things to do at the beginning. So maybe there's also some mistakes people make. And we asked Ray Locke, uh, who used to be the CEO of Forces in Mind Trust, we asked him this same question on a, on a DSC Zoom talk, and he said the biggest thing he doesn't like as a funder, as someone giving money, is grammar grammar mistakes right. spelling and things yeah. like that and so uh, uh, along those lines, are there any common mistakes or pitfalls you see when people make that initial reach? Yeah, I mean, definitely funders all have their own pet peeves. And I think one of the chapters of the book, I, I kind of opened it by talking about a funder who said that he doesn't even open an envelope unless the ink has been written with a fountain pen. So he used to like lick his finger and it was like a kind of, oh <laughs> like, it was just like with a biro, it would just, just check it out. But like, I mean, obviously it's hard to get around all, you, know, you can't know everything about a funder to, to be that. Amazing. <laughs> But, but people do have their own little annoying things. There's stuff like grammar, typos, mm. um, you know, copied and pasted bits of information from other documents. That can be quite obvious to someone. And it just it's just annoying. And you've got to bear in mind that those grant makers are probably looking through hundreds and hundreds of different applications at one time. Most yeah. funders are really oversubscribed. Not all of them, but, but most of them are. So the reality is you're competing. Um, so any like little things that are going to just annoy someone from the off then you definitely want to avoid those but I think generally the whole there's a whole thing about kind of blanket appeals and and taking a scattergun approach to grant makers where you might get like a pre-prepared proposal on a project mm. and you just type in the grant maker's name in the right little slot in the document that's probably my personal 
book fair because I think it's done it's done a lot because people just don't have that much time and it's kind of a time-saving exercise but it's just not a good strategy because a funder can spot a mile off if they're just part of a blanket mailing and you've just typed the name in in the gaps so really the main thing oh kind of the, the main mistake to avoid is 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 to make sure that you're tailoring your proposal as specifically as you can to that funder so even like, like the way kind of language they use yeah even um you know and, and there's ways of kind of finding that out ideally getting to know them first before you put a proposal in but even stuff like just doing your research and listening to presentations they give or looking at their website and reports and getting a sense of the kind of level of technicality that they they talk in what's the kind of language they talk in and and then talking in that language when you're writing your proposal absolutely um so yeah i think just tailoring it is probably the biggest biggest thing to to do and then i think the problem my second bugbear i suppose would be when we accidentally write too much in the in the perspective of our organization rather than our beneficiaries so let's say for example you want to build a new scout hut mm-hmm. somewhere because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, your old one's crumbling down and it's yeah. gone rusty or something. So you might be tempted to write about that from you, your perspective as an organisation. You know, we really, you know, it's rusty. We really need to rebuild this bit and this bit. It's going to cost this. Yeah. But actually, the funder's interested in the people that are going to be using that scout. So you've got to frame it all in terms of your beneficiaries. So, Love this. Yes, and we need to do that because of this reason, um, and that benefits the young people they're going to be using it for this reason so kind of framing it in terms of your beneficiaries rather than your immediate needs as an organization absolutely community-led fundraising isn't it then almost they're kind of asking for it and we're delivering it i love yeah. that spot yeah. on spot on anything yeah. else put oh. you on the spot there put you on the spot probably things like no. <laughs> <laughs> i mean the basic things like i mean it's really easy to use jargon that's another mm. classic isn't it yeah, especially yeah. um in our set, I think there's quite a lot of sector-specific jargon that you don't even necessarily know you're doing because it's become so ingrained, <laughs> um, so part of your language, and, and definitely internally in organisations, you you get your own language going that you think other people use, but they don't. <laughs> so you know certain words or phrases that you understand what that means because you're so used to hearing it and using it, um, but actually to someone external. That, that literally just makes no sense we, uh, so then things like proofreaders yeah. are helpful for that well, you know what I mean like everyone's horrible example at BSC in the customer service team we talk about a conference charity accountants conference we call it CAC very fondly right and then yeah you, you wait till you call it CAC to a customer and see how they react yeah they feel about that yeah are you exactly. coming to CAC <laughs> yeah, perfect yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. cool example. okay yeah. Uh, I, I love that. So somebody asked um, about funders love to support brand new shiny projects. Um, and that can yeah. be a really nice way to engage a funder um, and kind of the core stuff and maybe not core costs as such, but maybe just projects that are repeatable um, are, are kind of harder to fund. And, you know, situations like no repeat funding and things like that. Um, if you're a fundraiser in that situation, you're not getting repeat funding or that project just isn't maybe sexy enough for the funder. Uh, what would you recommend to those fundraisers? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's definitely the thing about new and innovative projects being particularly appealing. But I guess the question to ask is, why is that the case? You know, why why would one be particularly interested in that? And I think mm. it, it probably comes down to the way we just present something. So, yes, brand new projects, all new and exciting. 
but actually what's new well what's not not new but what's exciting and, and potentially still innovative about something that you're already doing can you present that ongoing project in a similarly exciting fresh way because actually I mean the benefit of something that's not new is that you've got a track record of why it works and mm. you're probably still doing that project because it's effective so that's mm-hmm. really strong you know funders want to see that as well they don't want to just see new stuff because new stuff comes with with risk as well so True. um I think playing to the strengths of why an ongoing project is actually a really good bet because you've got the evidence that it works you know how many mm. beneficiaries are, are gonna I like it that you said about risk. I think that's so right, isn't it? It's not a risk as such. And maybe that's yeah, part of it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, some funders love risk, but lots of them understandably mm. don't. Um, so I think it's the way you sort of frame your proposition. And I think that the whole core cost of things is quite interesting because I think traditionally grant makers, we don't think of them as wanting to fund core costs. But I think there's, there's been a real shift there. Even pre-COVID, actually, I think there was beginning to be a bit of a shift where funders were starting to recognize more that actually you can be quite strategic uh grant making strategy to to support core costs because mm. we think of strategic funding traditionally as being giving to particular projects but actually if you can support an organization at the core level the stuff that's probably not that exciting like management costs and infrastructure and it system and that kind of stuff then you're enabling them to do this amazing work that they're that they're doing and that's what funders want to enable so I think there's been a bit of a shift there. and then COVID totally brought that to the fore because suddenly we had organizations that were literally crumbling and desperately needed core costs and, and the grant making community were amazing at responding to that and being and giving more flexible Absolutely. funding so we've definitely seen a, a shift in the conversation there which is really really positive. I, li- I like that you mentioned core costs and I think we're starting to to create a dialogue at DSC I run a course comprehending core costs why core costs are not costs because right. even right. that term implies that they're not directly attributable to, to service delivery but yeah. absolutely not- they are all costs yeah. are and yeah. you're right the world is changing slightly back around to that understanding that actually the person in finance the building that people operate in to have a, a good work environment that looks after their well-being their productivity that is all contributing to service delivery maybe we shoot ourselves in the foot as fundraisers when we try and fund projects with small tiny costs that don't include that and we don't actually realistically cost our projects and maybe we beat our competitor for two years maybe we close down yeah exactly and and you're exactly you hit the nail on the head that it's that full cost recovery thing that you're not actually funding the project fully if you're not funding the supporting costs that come around it then actually they're only funding a portion of it And, and funders i think are more savvy to that these days um mm, no, a conversation about that and, and actually the, it may even be that if they don't see full cost recovery reflected in the budget they're going to ask the question well hang on a minute what what you know where's the rest here because this is not the whole project and actually you you want to show that you have thought of that and you are aware of that and you're not being irresponsible as an organization by not absolutely amazing yeah it's so true and, and we almost have a responsibility to each other as fundraisers as well yeah. to be honest with what we're Definitely. talking yeah, yeah. Cool. So you said there about funders getting involved with the process and making it easier for us. And we are seeing more of that as well. Grants officers, their job is to to give money to, to individuals, to organizations. And that really helps when they get involved. They know how the process works. And so that's one example there, maybe for the full cost recovery side of things. How else can they help us? How else would you like to see funders oh, help us at least? Oh, that's a good question. And I think if you ask put that out there into the 
grant seeking community you get a lot of that <laughs> I mean there's still, there's still a long way to get I mean a, a lot of it comes down to the power dynamic I, I think between grant makers and grant seekers mm-hmm. um and I talk a bit in the book about um what how we sort of as grant seekers need to be careful about not being too apologetic as mm-hmm. uh, as fundraisers and kind of you know we're not window sales people we're not asking for handouts we're looking for partnerships and grant makers need grant seekers as much as grant seekers need grant makers so we both we need each other just to achieve our charitable objectives um, so they, they need us as much as we need them um, but, but the dynamic is naturally sort of weighted on one side just because they've got the money and the kind of the, the power that comes with that but but I think there is more of a recognition of that now in the grant making community too so we've seen a few reports over the last few years where grant makers have been quite explicit about that and have said that they're aware that they have this weight of power and they don't mm. necessarily want that they want to see that shift and they want to enable grantees to be more open and honest about their reporting there are other things like you have to say all the successes but not talk about the challenges because you don't want to get in trouble with the, with the funder and they don't want that as much as as much as we want that equality um but there are basic things like even just the application process still for some funders it's not that straightforward some of them are brilliant at it but some of them like you'll get like an online application form and yeah. it'll say a really complicated question and you've got like 50 characters to answer that question and it's just those things don't marry together or you get all the way to the end of the form and then there's a glitch mm. in the system and you did the whole thing and it's a waste of time like yeah. there's just so many things like that that are really frustrating <laughs> for grant seekers um and funders really need to think carefully about the ease of their application process um and the fact that actually it costs a charity time and money um to to do fundraising to so have you can consider it yeah so actually yeah they need to be considerate and actually it's great that the um the IVAR the Institute of Voluntary Action Research put a call out I think it was last year um to the grant making community um saying that they wanted their systems to be more um flexible and more open and transparent for fundraisers and there was an amazing response to that I think they've got over 100 grant makers have signed up to this agreement now saying wow. yes we will be more flexible we will be more open and transparent we will Powerful. try and make things not wasting your time we will try and get back to you in good time because that's another thing if you put an application in you might not hear anything from that funder and actually you really need to know if you're getting that money that can really affect your internal workings particularly a small charity. so it's about that mutual respect and i think we're getting there and there's been steps like the like the IV, um, ivar nice um community but there's still a way to go <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of it comes from us as well, helping funders on, along the journey and, and educating them. I mean, I always, we have a button on funds online. If you've used the search tool that says uh, restrict unsolicited funders um, and it takes out right. people who don't accept unsolicited applications. But yeah. I always see that as like a challenge and maybe oh, yeah, I become solicited and then I'm in a, a little secret gang that, of people that can apply to this funder. And, and it is all about relationships. You, you've already kind of said this today, building oh, exactly. meaningful relationships. And it does take time. Um, yes. I do this before a bid is, is submitted. I try to anyway. Sometimes they say just submit the bid. Um, but what could fundraisers be doing uh, to try and communicate with their funders either before a bid or even after a bid or during? Yeah, well, it definitely is all about the relationship. I mean, the whole 
the whole game really is about relationship building and like yeah I love what you said that it, it, taking the time because even if you get like a call for a funding round that closes in two weeks or the next one's in six months like wait for the six month one if you can because you're just so much more likely to be successful if you've had the time to actually build a relationship with that funder in advance Absolutely. and I think sometimes we can be so keen to just push out applications out the door but actually it's, it's not a great strategy because you, you really need to have that relationship first so that when they come to read your proposal they already know who you are they already feel excited and passionate about what you're doing they already, they already get you as an organization and as a cause and, and possibly even have already met senior staff and met beneficiaries and then like how much more likely are you going to be successful if you've got that sort of shoe in already so it's definitely all about the relationship um but that does take yeah it does take time yeah and part of that is getting kind of the internal kind of back up for that because that's a difficult thing for fundraisers when you've got someone breathing down your neck sort of from on high saying you know we need to be applying to this person this we person, need the money. person getting this money in yesterday and you know that's a lot of pressure so kind of pushing back a bit saying you know, we need to take time on this approach it's not grants fundraising is not a quick win by nature um it's nothing you can you just turn around really speedily yeah. but yeah that's kind of an education piece which is quite challenging sometimes absolutely so we, but so that's the beginning we definitely have to call them up speak to them and, and ask them the questions don't definitely. we but what about definitely. during the relation during the relationship then how can we maintain that uh well i think prior i mean we talked a bit about prior to a grant yes you're right i mean things things like phone calls i think there can be like a reticence to, to pick up the phone to our funder, but um, to, I mean, do that for start. Not everybody is doing it, so you're probably going to be standing out if you if you are doing that. Things like events and project visits and um, anything you've got going on at your organisation where you can just be getting them to engage more with your your work. And you mentioned a bit earlier about the the, the guys that don't like the unsolicited applications, and you're right, they're they're my faves because they're like the challenge. How do you how do you crack someone that doesn't want to be cracked? But the, there are ways of doing that. Yeah. One of the main things would be looking for connections. So who do you know that may know someone at that funder who can kind of open that door for you? So looking mm. at your networks, looking at your connectors, looking at who can make an inroad for you. I mean, particularly with the guys that don't like the unsolicited applications, it's the peer-to-peer -peer stuff is the is the key. If you can find a peer connection, someone that can open that door for you, then you're probably going to be quids in. But then the other side of it, I think, is after a grant so we spend all this time like working to get the money in and that feels like it's the end goal but actually it's the stuff that comes after is probably just as important because we spend all this time looking for new business and new prospects and new funding but the majority of our money is going to come from our existing supporters Absolutely. and they are so much more likely to be the ones that give because they've given to there's an affinity already there they've given before but it's easy to kind of slightly forget about your existing supporters and just be sending off a progress report and just doing the very basic hygiene level stuff. So you're, you know, yeah, I'm sending you a report that you wanted in six, 12 months time. Actually, we need to be thinking about how we maintain a relationship level with that. So keep Thank in yous. Absolutely. Yeah. That like invites to events. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And kind of creative ways of stewarding that relationship that other charities maybe aren't doing. Um, that's definitely where the, the gold is, I think, in terms of income generation and income growth, because you're looking at your existing supporter base and how you can really nurture and grow those donors who are, are definitely going to be your strongest bet. 
Love that. I think just, I just want to share one tip I give people on my courses and I stole it from another fundraiser, Cara Logan, and she's done a couple of Ted talks. And one thing I, I suggest, if you do want to pick up the phone and speak to someone, there's one really easy question. And that's just to say, are you considering, are you considering working with charities in the nature and environment space and, and letting people say yes or no to that? And if they say no, you just say, well, what are you considering? And you get them to tell you what they're doing and, and we fit around their needs. And that gave me a real nice safety blanket to call people. Um, use that. I mean, Neela, do you have any things that specifically you would say to people? Yeah, I think you're right. Like getting someone in any kind of conversational context, getting someone to be doing the talking is definitely the way forward. You want to be hearing from them because those conversations are part of your research. Anyway, you're kind of getting Absolutely. a sense of that individual, that, that organisation, who the key individuals are. And, you know, you want to be hearing from them. Uh, but I think it, the whole the phone thing is interesting because you see it in all fundraising teams, I think, particularly when you're, you know, back when we used to be in offices. There's, for some, there's something where we feel nervous or anxious about picking up the phone to a funder. As if, I don't know, as if it's the power thing again, I think, as if you're on trial or they're going to ask you suddenly loads of questions you don't know the answer to and actually why does that stress us out like, yeah you might not know the answer they might ask you a question you don't know the answer to and then you just say I don't know but I'll find out the answer <laughs> um but for some reason we can feel like an anxiety I think around that level of interpersonal connection. absolutely and, and it's totally normal as well you're, you're interrupting someone it's, a, it's quite a, a like a yeah. private thing to do to interrupt someone on a phone and it's also something we have to do proactively if we will we can react to these calls inbound and have that kind of stressful conversation because we're forced to but proactively it's tough isn't it yeah it's tough. but then grant makers like you know they're set up to give money away so that Perfect. in itself is just a nice you know they exist to give us money remember like yeah you're there you're like that's your role <laughs> to give yeah. money away and actually you need to give money away to someone and I'm a great organization for you to give that to so let me enable your yep. grant making activities through this totally amazing work that I need to tell you about so actually if you, if you kind of think of it more as I've got something amazing to offer you rather than I'm trying to get something from you that sort of slightly shifts your psychology a bit doesn't it we all have to do that I think you're so right I have something to offer you because your job is to give people like me money to run courses that change people's lives yeah right love yeah. that so do you do you uh you mentioned the beneficiary voice and i think that i want to reiterate how important that is if your beneficiaries haven't asked for this you're going to really struggle um yeah. but have you got any keywords or phrases you use when writing applications oh i've got keywords well i don't know i think i think it's so much about being bespoke to the funder that i'm probably would answer that in the opposite direction by saying that's good um i really try not to be too generic actually and, and kind of just be as bespoke as possible and you know we talked a bit earlier about the funder's own language and own voice and kind of um reflecting that in the way that you talk to them and particularly how you you present a proposal um yeah I think so, and that you need to get to know them to be able to do that you need to to understand them and, and know them and that's all part of your research but also part of your relationship building stuff but there's definitely stuff that you you need to avoid when we talked a bit about jargon but it's also things like cliched phrases that are just really easy mm. to just trip off your tongue or trip off yeah. the top of your fingertips like unique and um you know, desperate my like desperate plight and uh, your desperate need those kind of phrases that are quite easy to accidentally giving back <laughs> quite, uh, yeah they're 
quite sort of um just probably annoying to funders that see them all the time mm. so it's probably kind of things to avoid if anything um and there's certain like you know there's tips and tricks kind of different ways you can you can write or speak we are using you know the uh sort of a more of an active voice rather than a passive voice things like that that kind of can be a bit more persuasive particularly when you're doing uh, writing and documents um yeah, and I, I definitely would come back to the proofreading and having someone external or, or someone who who doesn't know the project, certainly, mm-hmm. to read your proposal because um, there will be stuff Perfect. in it that you, you you might have read it loads of times, but you just, you, you know, your brain fills it all in. So you're just kind of going to be uh, missing the, the mistakes, but they're going to be seeing it from a fresh perspective, particularly if you've been copying and pasting or rehashing information that you've read elsewhere. You want to make sure there's a real flow and it's hard to get the gist of that on your own you need someone, someone so else. important yeah. sleep so on important. it as well don't yeah, yeah, finish time, that application yeah. on the day it's meant to be in oh yeah totally yeah which is easier said than done isn't it? it's not <laughs> uncommon to be raising to get it off at the last minute but um yeah factor in time for that for someone to be reviewing it cool. so what about your reputation as a fundraiser obviously you've got a big reputation um growing reputation as well which must really help you when you're fundraising um, how mindful should I be about my reputation when I'm fundraising? What role does that play? Oh, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting question because I think technically it shouldn't really be about the individual fundraiser. You know, you're you want to be raising the reputation of the, your the cause or the project or whatever it is that you're raising funds for. Yeah. So I suppose, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't really be about us as individuals. It should be about us connecting the funder to the organisation. Love that. Um, but in practice, it's not quite that straightforward because it's all about interpersonal mm. relationships. Naturally, you know, you're gonna you are gonna forge some stronger than other interpersonal relationships with particular people at grantmakers, whether it's a trustee or a gatekeeper or you know, administrator administrator or a grant secretary or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I think in practice, yeah, holding on to those relationships is helpful. I mean, I've certainly found you know, when you've move, moving to a different organization. If you have got those relationships already, it's so much easier to pick up the phone and be like, hello, I now work here. Yeah. Um, and, oh, like, please con- continue to support X charity. Yeah. <laughs> but would you also be interested in this? And, you know, that that's definitely been my experience that, that that happens and you kind of can take funders with you without cutting them off from the left charity. But, um, you know, if you have a good relationship, that's definitely how it works in practice but I mean ultimately your the goal is I think that's something that happens naturally the goal is that you you want to embed the funder into the organization you want them to be genuinely passionate about that course and project. so even if they do follow you in your career doing other things you want them still to be supporting the other charities that you worked at before and, and building that reputation yeah definitely is on an organizational level whether that's things like your website or speaking at conferences or um you're just having a platform you're just using social media using a platform to kind of shout about what the organization is doing mm-hmm. there's loads of funders that are proactive and they're looking particularly the ones that don't want to receive unsolicited applications yeah it's um you know they're they're proactive they're looking for who they want to fund so you need to be able to be found by them uh, if you want to get any money from this you need to be out there you need to kind of get your name out as as the organizationally as being the leaders or um build familiarity with people yeah field yeah same reason 
same reason coca-cola spends so much money on advertising just trying to get their face get our face to see yeah. their brand over and over again and yeah it's, um, if we do get a no from a grant giver get them on your twitter account get them on your linkedin whatever it is it's going to get that familiarity with either you as a person or as you say your charity yeah yeah and ultimately you are as whoever you're working for like you, you're the face of that organization and, and i do yes you want that relationship but you want them to be you know oh that's near the jane from unicef or wherever you know that's yeah yeah whatever that. it is i love that so talking about approaches then have you got an unusual approach that's worked out that you can share with us i'm intrigued where this is going to question is going to take us <laughs> i don't know if it yeah i don't know if it's unusual but i think um we talked a bit earlier about the whole peer-to-peer connection thing that's probably my big like pushy thing because it's difficult to do or it, mm. it seems difficult to do and therefore i think people can be a bit hesitant to try try it or they can feel like well you know we just we don't know anyone we're not connected to anyone so that's you know we're not some big glitzy organization or we don't you know we're not part of some sort of special insider club of people that know each other so that's not going to work for us and that's just not true you mean you only you you literally just need one person to start you off you can make an introduction to someone else and then get them to make an introduction to someone else and you can end up with quite a strong Peer, peer-to-peer network absolutely um, you don't have to be a big organization for that you don't have to be well known for that um it's just about being very effortful and, and um purposeful about getting connections and, and i think purposeful probably one of my oh, biggest grants was from a foundation that we just didn't fit the criteria for at all <laughs> and that came about because we had a peer-to-peer connection so and I say that with a bit of hesitancy because uh, I'm not saying, yeah, just go gung, you know, gung ho, apply to everybody, even if you don't remotely uh, fit the criteria. Because mm. you know, grant makers would have a heart attack of hearing someone mm-hmm. <laughs> say that. But the reality is that they don't always give to who you think they would do based on what they say on their website or whatever. Yeah. Um, then in my experience is that we've had some some great grants in the past from funders that just on paper you wouldn't think are a fit. But if you get that connection, you've opened the door and, and you may well be able to get funding. You, wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So the power of connection, I think, is not to be understated. Amazing. Open, open doors that you would never expect. But yeah, so probably yeah. not unusual, but I would say underused um, because there's so much potential by taking that approach. But it's a time thing again. It takes time to work out who knows who. It takes time to get someone feeling willing and engaged to make that introduction so it's about factoring time into that perfect but it does take time doesn't it and it's about maybe sometimes being more proactive than reactive uh, building those relationships and we've got to make ourselves have that time sometimes don't we it's a great tip there um so just to keep it kind of current in in terms of the pandemic uh, has changed fundraising we mentioned core costs and the ability to do full cost recovery maybe became a little bit easier some funders became a little bit more understanding um with drastic situations like this there's always change and have you seen any kind of new forms of relationships or application processes start to emerge in grants fundraising yeah from the pandemic yeah um i mean historically grant makers have been awesome at bolstering the sector during times of, of turmoil i mean we see that on repeat back in 2008-9 we had the banking crisis and a big financial recession um you know that affects trust and foundations in particular their assets will go down yeah. but historically we see that their grant making levels 
go up, you know, either go up or kind of stay the same to kind of bolster the sectors. And, and that's happened again with, with the pandemic. Um, amazingly, that we've seen grant makers really sort of stepping to the to the fore and, and kind of uh, filling the gaps amazingly. So that they've been awesome at, at doing that. Um, and there's great relationship opportunities within that where you can kind of, you know, go to a fund and be like, this is the situation, <laughs> you know, we are so overstretched. We have got d- demand for our services gone sky high. Yeah. Funding sources have gone, you know, way low. Can you help us? Um, and I think funders have been much more flexible as a result of the pandemic, kind of recognizing those challenges for charities, particularly for their existing grantees, but also for the new ones as well, being more flexible. Things like supporting more core costs, um, diverting funds that may, might have been restricted to, to a particular project and then allowing them to restrict to kind of be diverted to something else. Um, so that's all kind of part of this more flexible transparent relationship um, which is a really positive shift so I think out of a, a dire situation um, there is there has been some really positive stuff in terms of relations I think between charity fundraising charities and grant making charities um, yeah so Lovely. definitely it's been challenging all round but, mm. but you know they are as a community they are generally pretty awesome because that, that's something that has happens all the time when, when we Absolutely. look back at them kind of ups and downs of the economy um they're pretty great at buoying the, the sector mm, when well they, they're so close to the need that, that i guess yeah. it's, it's natural isn't it and i think they're probably and they feel that responsibility i mean they're as you said before their role is to is to give their role is to support the sector Absolutely. um and a lot of particularly larger foundations are really involved and passionate about what's happening in the sector you know, it's, it's a genuine care there so um yeah, I think I think you've seen that reflected in the way that they've behaved and come together and communicated more with with grant seekers. Thank you so much, Neela Jane, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. So uh, this is this is part of the build up for a new book we've released we're releasing at the Directory of Social Change that Neela Jane has authored for us. Do you just want to quickly just give us a little bit more of an insight into that book, what people can expect, um, yeah, and actually sure. after that, let us know where people can find you as well. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so the book is um, it was a bit of a whistle-stop tour, I suppose, really, of the, of the whole process of grant-seeking. So it takes you through the, I call it the approach cycle of the book. So it, there's a chapter on each sort of stage in this cycle from find, finding funders to begin with, researching funders, how you do that in practice, and then how you, how you, you, know, how you build those relationships we've been talking about today. Um, there's a whole chapter on the proposal development stage and kind of the nitty-gritty details of that. The whole chapter actually on submitting the proposal because you know we think about just sending it off in the post. But actually, there's a lot more around that you can do to make a strategic approach. There's a lot about kind of being strategic. Then there's a whole chapter about thanking and stewardship and grant management as mm-hmm. well. Um, so it kind of takes you through the whole sort of cycle um, with a funder. And then at the end, there's a chapter right at the end. Um, as I was writing the book, I started thinking I really wanted more input from the grant-seeking community about what they wanted to have in it. So I put out a call on social media for people just to fill out a basic survey. What, what do you want to see in the book? What questions would you like to be answered? And I got idea. loads of feedback, which is amazing. So the last chapter of the book are kind of, sort of almost like frequently asked questions, kind of challenges and things that come up a lot time and time again. Brilliant. Um, 
to kind of try and digest some of those. Because so hopefully, like my aim was to answer all of those questions somewhere within the book. And so I hope that we've, we've done that successfully. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a whole holistic approach to grants funding. So not just looking at the proposal stage. So I think historically, we've probably put too much focus on just the proposal, which is a really important part of grants fundraising. But actually, this this book is yeah. a much wider picture mm. of the whole relationship. Love that, and and this is it. This, this is uh, a new book from us, and obviously we're just trying to keep up to date at the directory of social change as well, and that's why we bring authors like you onto this. So, if anybody's listening and they and they want to follow you, you mentioned Twitter. There is, is that a good place? Um, it's probably yeah. Um, I would like to be a bit more of a modern person. <laughs> I am on Twitter. I'm not very good at using it, but I'm on stuff like LinkedIn. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and kind of all the kind of trust funding network things like you know there's a a hub a facebook um just facing hub i'm on there cool. um there's the um special interest group from the charters institute of fundraising yeah um, i'm on there so you know things like that yeah but linkedin's definitely a good place to to connect and, and then yeah i'm always happy to answer questions or find posts to resources if that's helpful so on LinkedIn, it's Neela Jane Stansfield is, is her name. Right, and, yeah. uh, and on DSC, it's the Grant Fundraising book. Uh, you can find it. And it's coming out in May. So when you're listening to this, it'll be out in the next month. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in today and uh, for giving us the questions that we took to, to Neela Jane in the first place. And a massive thank you, Neela Jane, to giving us your time as well to, to give us your insight into grant fundraising and just give people this other special insight into you as well as a fundraiser. So I really appreciate you coming here today and answering our charity questions. Awesome. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for watching Charity Questions by the Directory of Social Change. So this is the podcast where we bring charity experts to you and we ask them the questions that you provide us via social media. So if you want to get involved, please check out the Directory of Social Change on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. And of course, to hear more about this content and to learn more about Charity Questions, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and of course, like this video to let us know if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for watching. Cheers.